Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 27. And today I want to talk about a passage out of Luke chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through, um, I guess, the end of the sections, probably about uh, verse 30. And just want to share some, some thoughts that I've been picking up from this. I've spent a good bit of time here in the past few days in Luke just revisiting uh, his writing and revisiting specific stories uh, as I've come across them. Some have really captured my eye. And uh, so I just want to share some insights that I uh, feel like the Lord is revealing to me in, in this time, um, both relevant to myself and, and others, I'm sure, can draw from this. So, um, But before we get into that, I want to, again, thank you for taking the time to stop if you have been following this uh, for the period of time that I've been doing it, I, I appreciate you. And those who are maybe tuning in for the first time, I welcome you along for this ride. Um, I'm thankful to what God has done, how he's used it, multiplied it in ways that I know and mostly ways that I don't know. So I'm thankful for that. And so um, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, again, this is coming out of Luke chapter 4. And... Uh, we're revisiting a period or a section where Jesus is back in his hometown in Nazareth. So we'll, we'll talk um, starting or we'll read in, in starting in verse 16. And it says, When he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. Uh, someone uh, close to me had pointed that out and I'd never really paid attention to that before, uh, but it was it's pretty profound. Um as was his custom. So Jesus himself, he had customs, he had uh, routines. Um, so it's really easy sometimes for us to get in this mindset of, you know, we shouldn't have customs, we shouldn't have routines, or maybe even people will use this whole like anti-structure um, approach. And and that's just, it's not necessarily uh, the way it should or shouldn't be, but we do see that Jesus um, had a custom. He had a, he had a, a routine. Um, so we we can't so easily and quickly discount routines and uh, customs, if you will. But it is always important to remember the reason behind the custom, the reason behind um, the why behind what you do. Um, if it's whyless, <laughs> without, you know, true conviction or without true purpose, you know, why are you doing it? It's fair to question those things. Um, but uh, definitely we see that, at least biblically speaking, uh, Jesus himself had customs. It says, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, um, if if what I have understood to be true about this, you know, this time period, this particular scene, uh, this would have been a very 
unusual occurrence. Those who were reading from the scrolls would have been the synagogue leaders, would have been the um, the those of the Pharisees, those of the um, the the scholars, the scribes. You know, so, for a we'll just say a regular person, an everyday attendant, to stand up and read, this would have been highly unusual. And the fact that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, you know, I'm sure there were those in attendance who were sitting there thinking, what is happening? (laughs) Completely struck in, in awe and confusion over this irregular occurrence. Um, So, kind of keeping that in the back of your mind as you as you plant the scene in in your mind uh, it was highly unusual but 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 events were transpiring that you know when you're in those moments that are epic and they they are transitional moments and and it feels as though you're almost in this out of body experience as though What's unfolding before your eyes is actually marking history. I think that is one of these moments here. And uh, these people were in, in attendance. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Another thing too important to remember is... In chapters and verses, these were things that have been added to what we have today. And it, you know, it helps for us to navigate the writings. It helps for us to, to, um, to quickly access certain parts. It's not necessarily that it's right or wrong, but it is definitely not what was original. Um, these would have been long writings. And so that language, he found the place where it was written, uh, I think is very kind of a practical statement. And Jesus unrolls it and he looks for the place where it is written. I can almost imagine in that moment is this pin drop hush across the audience, uh, across the congregants. And as everyone is completely in shock of what's happening and wondering what will take place next. I can just envision the stillness over the entire crowd of people in the synagogue. And so he finds the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is an excerpt out of the writings of Isaiah. And as I, this isn't something that I, that I planned to say, so I had to find it quickly, but it is out of Isaiah 61. 
And Isaiah 61 says, it starts off, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to, pro to comfort all who mourn. Now, Isaiah 61 goes on for eight or ten more verses, so there's quite a lot there. But Jesus pulls that part out. He announces that section. Now, I think it is important for us to really pause as we read Scripture. This is something that I have learned and am still learning. But it's, it's very easy to, to just kind of blast through your reading. And as you, as you read, you, you sometimes you may get trapped into that mindset of reading to accomplish. You know, I, I've uh, intended in my mind to read so many chapters a day or, or to read through this book in 30 days, whatever that is, whatever the objective is. And it is really easy to fall into that trap. But if, if we can be intentional about our reading to let the Holy Spirit bring things to our mind and then slow down to process that, to think about it, uh, to, to daydream about it. You know, we often tell God, like, you know, our dream is this, our dream is that. But what is God's dream? What is He, what is He daydreaming? about. And I think if we can if we can slow down and and make space and make time for him to reveal to us by his holy spirit what his dreams are. And when we when we process scripture as we read it and we we make space, we make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. He takes the the things that are God's and he, and he makes it known to us, the deep things of God, and He makes it known to us. And that is one of the most exciting adventures that I have started to learn and to explore is, is being made aware of the things that are housed inside the depths of, of God. And he's eager to make that known to, to everyone, not a, not a special select few who uh, you know, have a passion and heart for teaching and, and all this. That those, those people have a place and have a purpose, and, and, I, and I consider myself one of them. But it is actually, it's greater than that because he desires that each one of you, each one of us, come into this special, unique place of making room for Him to speak and to teach us and to reveal things to us that we've never known or maybe we've never heard before. And uh, I'm reminded of the place 
where Jesus said that I have m- much more to tell you, but uh, but you cannot handle them or um, you're not able to bear them. It's It begs the question to me, what is it that God reveals or God desires to reveal to us that we don't we don't have a paradigm for. We've we've thought a certain way for so long, perhaps that our our framework, our structure for thought, is way completely different, and and for for God to introduce something to us could could be a a big blow. So it's it just begs the question, what does he desire to reveal that we yet have developed a paradigm for? Because, you know, maybe we're we're not making that space for him to speak and teach us. So I just digress there, but uh, I think that is important and near and dear to God's heart that we do that. We be intentional about making space for him to speak to us. And as we marinate and stew on these specific scriptures, different ones, and whatever setting you find yourself in, you don't feel an urgency of to, to rush, to accomplish so that you can you know move on, check the box. And, and so as we think about what Jesus stands up and says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he goes through that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, one of the questions that I ask is... Um, and Jesus, Jesus just quoted a certain part, and um, not only that, but he stops the quote that's where it ends and says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But he didn't continue on with the rest of that and say, "And the day of vengeance of our God." And I find that very interesting, very intriguing. So why did he stop there? Why did he leave that part off? I think that one could get to several different answers and all of them could possibly be correct. Um, I think the complexities of what God desires to do, and we know that Jesus did nothing that his he did not see his father do or say anything that his father wasn't saying. So it's, it was very intentional. If you will, it was very strategic. But ask the question, why there? Why that? And just as you begin to ponder on those things throughout the day, you may not get an answer immediately. You may get an answer immediately. But I think it's when we start asking those questions and pause that we'll begin to start un- unraveling the thread of discovery and oh there is nothing more grand and divine than unraveling the thread of of insight and discovery uh, because he has so much to share to us if we'll just stop so uh, so he, i so i continue here he ends that quote from the scroll of isaiah and verse 20 it says and he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now remember, picture the scene in your mind, and as he's given the scroll, everyone's sitting there likely thinking, what is this guy doing? 
you know, they know, and this is Nazareth. This is where he was raised. You know, they know this is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Who does he think he is taking the scroll and reading from it? What is he doing? And so he has just dropped this bomb on them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He gives that scroll back to the attendant and sets down and everyone, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Everyone was looking. Everyone was wondering what in the world just happened. Verse 21, then he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is a profound statement because we, if, if we think, you know, Isaiah releases this word and for all those years, those religious leaders and maybe some devout um, individuals would have been very intimately aware of, of this text. They would have possibly memorized it. They would have very likely read it on a very frequent basis. And so this is this would be likely a very intimate verse for the people there and jesus says this scripture what i just read you has been fulfilled in your hearing and not just has been fulfilled but today this has been fulfilled so likely there were some sitting there asking what do you mean today it has been fulfilled? How's that possible? And then others were sitting there that connected the dots that said, wait a second, you just said that you fulfilled it. There are those who connected the dots and realized what he was telling them. In other places, Jesus talks about speaking in parables so that some will will hear but not understand or uh, see but not perceive. But understanding has been given to those who are in the kingdom of God so that they have understanding to know what it is that God is saying. And so I think this verse too is part of that. There are those, some, who had the understanding to connect the dots while others were probably sitting there metaphorically scratching their heads thinking, what is he talking about? Now, <laughs> this is actually where I wanted to 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 jump into, and it's just kind of a, a quick little insight, but I think it's very important for us to, to remember throughout our lives, throughout the impact that we have in our day-to-day -day lives, throughout our in, impact that we may have in ministry or throughout this impact we have in our day-to-day -day life. But it says, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. 
Okay, so see the word all. All spoke well. Everyone. This includes everyone. <laughs> they spoke well of him. And they were amazed. They were in awe of the gracious words that came from his mouth. So remember that before Jesus comes onto the scene, well, we get John the Baptist as kind of a precursor there at the beginning, but prior to, to those, the end of the Old Testament, 400 years passes, really, and there's silence from God. And very possibly the, the electric atmosphere of the Spirit of God is very possibly that presence of God has been absent. And so all this time goes by and we get John the Baptist and he begins to herald this, this soon coming king. And then Jesus steps up and he, he begins this vocal aspect of his ministry. And I believe this moment in time was very, um, like I said, marking. It was kind of a historical landpost. And I can, and I can feel and imagine the impact of that moment. The, the, the atmosphere, the, um, the room was charged with this weight of, of presence. And, and there, very likely, there are those that felt this, if not everyone, and they wondered within themselves, what is happening what it what is this there's something special about this moment and i feel something that i haven't possibly ever felt and so all spoke very well of him and all were amazed and they said is not this joseph's son now you you can see in that verse this I would call it offense or at the very least maybe um, confusion. But I can see how offense would come in because, you know, isn't this, isn't this just Jesus, uh, Joseph's son? And something happens there that I believe either qualifies or disqualifies them, the people, from entering into. There's a decision that they have to personally make in that moment. Will I be offended at what I am observing or encountering, or will I accept it and step into? And that's a very important question that we all have to answer. Um, I've never considered that before. Uh, so I believe this is the word of the Lord to each of us in this moment. Um, we have to decide in the moment, what will we do with what we're hearing? Uh, take heed how you hear. And so 
They say, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. I believe he to be referencing the, the cross the, that he would ultimately uh, step onto and they would find themselves in this place of offense. Oh, you healed all these people, but you can't heal yourself. You delivered all these people, but you can't deliver yourself. You know, it's this offensive um, quality of Christ that they had. He was healer, but they could not bridge that reality to the fact that he chose to not heal himself. He's, he, Jesus goes on and said, And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. Verse 24, And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And I think this echoes the, the aspect or the element of offense that people have for those God mightily uses, not just in the prophetic realm, but in any aspect. I think there is a, a real reality that people have to deal with in terms of offense in those individuals that um, come from a specific place. If, if you know someone that God's mightily using and they're from your hometown, it's, you have a, a hurdle to, to cross in terms of offense. And, of course, that offense can take many different shapes and forms, but I think it is, a, is what we're seeing here in this text. And so Jesus tells them, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Now keep in the back of your mind what was said in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words. Verse 25, but the truth is, so Jesus, he, he, he prefaces this statement with verse 24. I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. So keep that one logged as well. Verse 25, but the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. So there was a great need in in the center, the heart of um, of this place in Israel in the time of Elijah. Elijah being one of the prominent figures of the Jewish um, culture. And he says, And there was a severe famine over all the land. Verse 26, Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Okay, a widow, so a woman... And not only a woman, but a widow. So a, a woman with no husband. And not only a woman who was a widow, but also a Gentile woman, widow. Zarephath in Sidon. So this is a, 
this is a very offensive thing to consider for those who are very uh, nationalistic, very patriotic in, in terms or in light of the Jewish heritage. Verse 27, there were also many lepers in Israel. So leper, leprosy being this physical condition um, in terms of the outside. And we're then previously we're dealing with a, a woman in this time of famine. So I think leprosy speaks of the outside, the, the outside physical. And then in terms of famine, we're talking of like an interior condition, a hunger, uh, a nutrition so, sure, you can see the effects of famine on the outside, but but I, I believe it to be this significant for this interior condition. So, an inside condition and an outside condition. I think that's important. And it says there were also, Jesus said, there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. So, Elisha being very... Um, major player in terms of J Jewish heritage. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Now we got another Gentile. So Jesus is telling them some pretty interesting things. But remember, it's all from the context or it's all framed by the statement, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And so Jesus is saying, you're not going to accept me. And it's because prophets have a hard time being accepted from where they come from. Now, verse 28. Took me a while to get here, but I'm finally making it. Verse 28, when they heard this, all the synagogue, all in the synagogue, were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they may hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through their midst of them and went on his way. Okay, so remember, verse 22, all, everyone spoke well of him and were amazed at him. And then verse 28, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. Do you see this instant shift happening in their hearts? This is something that we need to, to really be mindful of in terms of relationships. Maybe, maybe that's not the best word in terms of just um, dealing with people, um, we can see how quickly that people can change, that people's interiors can shift, their heart and mind shift regarding certain people's situations. So what's critical in understanding that is that we, we cannot let what people say, good or bad, inflate or deflate you. So I'm going to say it again. Don't let what people say, whether it is good or bad, 
Don't let it inflate or deflate you. People can be like shifting wind. That is the, that's the key thing that I really wanted to, to release or to bring to light out of this text. Um, something though, as you think on what Jesus is telling them, he, he says to them, you're, Moses would be at the top as well, but and I think Moses, Elijah, Elisha, these are like your top key people in Jewish heritage. And so when he tells them that prophets are not accepted in their own hometown, and I ask, I begin to ask the question, you know, why, why would they be filled with so much rage from the examples, those two examples of Elijah and Elisha, both being sent to Gentile people to, to impact them or to make a difference for them and not the, this Jewish heritage component? Why would they be filled with such rage? over that they wanted to to kill him to go from all spoke well of him and were amazed to wanting to kill him and as i begin to think on that i believe that what, what really stood out to me as as i feel like the lord was showing me this perspective is jesus is telling them your hardness of heart and not just yours, but even your, even your predecessors, those who came before you, because of your hardness of heart and their hardness of heart, these major prophets of God are being sent to others who would accept them. And, and so th those in audience in this, at this time when Jesus is, is revealing this, these two men, the Elijah and Elisha, are their some of their biggest heroes. Well, obviously, their forefathers too were among their heroes, and so Jesus is telling them, "Your forefathers were hard of heart, and that is why your biggest heroes weren't sent to them." because they could not accept them, and they rejected them. Jesus is saying, your forefathers rejected your heroes. And so not just, it's like a two-fold re revelation that your forefathers and, your, and, um, and even and yourselves failed in the arena of being aware of what God was wanting to do. And so they and you failed in those in that aspect or in those terms. And as a result, that mighty person of God was sent to those who, by the Jewish standards, would have said they don't deserve this um, important figure. They, they should not get impacted by these 
mighty men of God. And so Jesus is foreshadowing even what would what would occur in throughout his ministry is just like your forefathers rejected Elisha and Elijah, you are rejecting me who is, um, yes, a prophet of God, but more than a prophet of God, the son of God, who is calling all men to himself. And they would be, gr- they would be guilty of a greater offense by rejecting and ultimately crucifying, putting to death, as they married into the plan of God, because that did not come by as surprise to God that they would that they would put him to death. That was a part of the plan. So I believe in the moment those in attendance, those in the synagogue, became so enraged because of what that meant to them as as it offended them because Jesus um in in their understanding insulted their forefathers and then also it was an insult to their those the prophets and then an undeserving people gentile were to receive the blessings of God so I believe that is kind of the the bigger picture of the sh- the cause of the shift in them, but not just the why behind the shift, but also realizing that people are like shifting wind. Now that doesn't that doesn't does not permit us to wall off from people because we are called to relationship with one another, with both sinner and saint. Keep in mind that Jesus chose Judas. Judas was a part of the the the, the chosen twelve, and and we get we get so offended when we have people in our lives that become a Judas to us. They have been connected to us intimately. And for whatever reason, for whatever motivation, there's a betrayal, there's a hurt. And, and we carry that hurt with us for sometimes years and decades. And, and I think, I can't help but think that that is just a, a, a it's a sign or a marker of our immaturity and, and misunderstanding of the scripture. I mean, if, if Jesus himself had a Judas, who are we to think that we are immune or exempt from that same type of encounter? But what we have to remember is, is those Judases in our life, they teach us something very, very special that we would not have experienced given all of our relationships were happy and healthy and, and good and perfect. Those Judases in our lives teach us how to to depend and draw from um, the grace of God, how to extend grace, how to be humble, how to, how they teach us how to love and, and how to draw from the nourishment that we need, the support, the encouragement that we need from 
uh, from God through the Holy Spirit. And then those Judases also show us, they teach us the importance of those of those healthy relationships that we have. You know, it's kind of like when you can't have something and then you get it again, it that you have this appreciation for it. So, so there's so many learnings that can come through those Judas people in our lives. But we have this tendency in in those moments of betrayal and hurt and disappointment as it relates to relationships is we have this tendency of walling ourselves off. And it's much like what I think happened with with Babel. And, you know, people, rather than dispersing, they, they congregated and then they built this thing. Look what we can do. And and then they kind of just stopped the plan of God. And, and so we do that in those moments of Judas people. And we wall ourselves off and we we kind of disqualify ourselves from what God is wanting us to step into, kind of our um, our promised land, if you will. And so, I believe also that it's a it, that's a picture of Jericho. You know, we we have these high and strong walls. We fortify ourselves because of a fence. And uh, w- one little neat phrase that I felt like the Lord shared with me: um, offense, offense will cause people to build a fence. And I think it's absolutely true and we something that we've all experienced. But just like those mighty walls of Jericho, when the people walked around them, obeyed God and did as he directed them, then God brought those walls down. So I think it's I think that speaks to what we have to overcome given those Judas moments in our lives. And when we allow that to happen, when we allow God to to shape and mold us and and not wall ourselves off from relationships, then we can really walk in what God's intended for us. And so I think that's I think that's important to for us to remember and to engage in and not let the fact that people are like shifting winds. People can be full of gracious words about you and in a moment flip and become filled with rage to the point where they are willing and eager to take your life. Um, We have to not allow that reality to permit us to wall ourselves off. We must be in relationship, both with good and bad people. And so that's really what I wanted to kind of dig out of this Luke chapter 4 section. Um, I hope that it uh, touched you, spoke to you in your situation, or maybe situations that would unfold in the future. Um, I pray that God would multiply this in your and my heart and that he would speak to us Uh, in deeper, more intimate ways than we've ever imagined if we would just pause and give him space to do so. So I bless you and thank you for taking the time and we'll see you next time. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you And in your house I hold